Welcome back to Redwall, a podcast where we remember, reread, and rethink the book series Redwall by Brian Jakes. If you give a mouse a ferret, he'll die. <laughs> I am Jordan. I'm Derek. And today we have joining us once again, Julia Fitasik. Um, we had a feast of a conversation with her a couple weeks ago, which was tremendous. And we are mm-hmm. back talking about Outcast book three. And we are going to waste no time, Julia, asking you... What are your memories of Outcast of Redwall? Well, we're getting right into it. Um, hi right guys, thanks for <laughs> thanks for having me back <laughs> on. Um, it's funny, I I definitely read this one as a kid. Uh, mm-hmm. I distinctly remember the cover. I, I actually didn't oh, remember yeah. the plot that much. Um, I mean, I it sort of did. I remember feeling very outraged about Vale's fate, but. Um, Ooh. Yeah, not like all the specifics. I I definitely didn't remember, and, and um, especially the the sort of like structure of this book, which I think is really mm-hmm. intricate and cool. I, I yeah, mm-hmm. it was like it totally out of my head. So this was like a very fun experience to revisit this one for sure. But the the artwork on the cover, I definitely remember. It's gorgeous. One of my favorite covers. So. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, that is just such a nice yeah. green. And the the back too with Sunflash and Scarlet is it's really cozy. I just love right. it. Right. Sunflash yeah. and what is he wearing a toga in this one like a red just like cloth yeah like a like some sort of like long tunic or something a tunic that's that's the right word not toga. <laughs> this is not ancient rome not ancient rome ancient greece or rome. that would be silly a badger in ancient rome <laughs> <laughs> now i've heard everything <laughs> i do um 100 percent remember the structure of this one too from growing up we've talked about that before how it was disappointing for me growing up thinking like I just wanted this outcast. But now I've been loving the structure to the point of it's almost overshadowing everything else for me in how much like I'm liking the structure of the book. And we can probably talk about this more later. Um, but it is like making up for the stuff I don't like about it. Yeah, I know last time I was on the podcast, I kind of bagged on this one a little bit. But like, this is honestly just in terms of writing, uh, like probably one of the best ones in the series. Like it's it's gorgeous. Mm. It's really well put together. Mm. Yeah. So is, is this then your first reread of it since growing? No, up? I actually this is one of the ones I read last year um, mm-hmm. when I was doing a lot of ah, my, right. Yeah. So I but I, I kind of powered my way through this one and. Uh, just I had a bunch of feelings about Vale, so I I didn't let myself slow down and and appreciate all the nice things mm-hmm. about it. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so um, yeah, not my first reread, but maybe my my gentlest reread. Gentlest reread, nice. Uh, just a gentle reread. Let's. That's nice. I yeah. I, I want to like kind of hit on on Vale just a little bit before we hop into the rest of the book. I talked about how last like last time uh, we talked about this in book two, I thought Vale was almost spooky and his type of evil was something we haven't seen before in that he's more manipulative and like visceral and almost like close to home, uh, like real life, almost like has a pathology to him and almost like a mental illness. Um, is that something you've been seeing in Vale? Like what? What are your hot takes on Vale, at least going into book three? Where is he at for you? Yeah, I, I think he, he putting aside my, uh, you know, again, I'm just going to remind everyone I'm a, I'm a vermin defender, but um, 
But putting that aside, like, yeah, he is, he is kind of a scary character. Uh, he does definitely manipulate people. I, part of that is, you know, we don't usually see vermin in this context. Like, mm-hmm. at home in the Abbey is not usually a place where they, they get to be. So that sort of tactic of, you know, he acts really sweet to Bryony and then, like, tries to poison a guy. Like, that that is not usually something vermin get to do. Uh, to see him do that is is really frightening. And I think it kind of ties to... Uh, the the kind of moral of this book about uh, sometimes we love people who are not good people. Uh, you know, Vale is mm. a bad person. Like he just is bad. There's no sort of redeeming that. Um, it's a, a really complicated idea to to suss out in a children's book like this. I think so. It's it's a little mm-hmm. unsettling. It's he's you know usually our villains are like very clear cut like oh, he's like a warlord or whatever. And this yeah. one is like someone who we're ostensibly kind of attached to, but he keeps hurting people that we're also attached to. And it's a it's a really uncomfortable character. Yeah. So you do feel an attachment to Vale as mm. you read this book. I, I yeah, I do. Because I, I think there's a little bit of, of vulnerability. It's not usually there, but you can see the ways that he is just kind of like this soft little creature that's not really suited for the world he wants to belong to. Like when he finds Swart, you know, he's like not yeah. really suited to be in this like vermin gang. Like there's there's something really tender mm-hmm. and vulnerable about him that's really just like conflicting with that really dark darkness within him, you know? So I, I feel for that conflict there. And I also think... Hmm. I feel attached to him through Bryony, who's a character I really like, right? Like her love for him comes across really strong. And then I also feel some kind of attachment to him through that. Sure. That's interesting. I don't know that I feel an attachment to Vale as I read this. And I think that's maybe a difficult part of this book. I think it's maybe a reason why this book doesn't work very much for me on any of the things that it's... I, and I guess I don't, I don't even necessarily know what it's attempting to do yeah. with Vale. Um, that I think is maybe my um, my struggle with it. I, I just like I don't necessarily have a way in. Um, but kind of what you were just talking about, I think, is like already sort of reshaping. Like, yeah, maybe I, I guess some of the tenderness. Like, like okay, I can maybe I can maybe see that, but. Um, that that in, in reading it by myself, that was not sort of my experience with the character. I think I came in with an attachment to Vale the same way I came in with a desire for Vale to turn good at the end of this when I was a kid, first time reading this. So I think I came in with this attachment for yeah. Vale. And it's weird that like I never let go of that, even though Vale kept trying to deny my attachment to him. <laughs> Uh, just and even like mm-hmm. uh, not so much just the character in like the story, but even like the stuff that Brian was doing just like was not stuff I was a huge fan of with with Vale. And yet, like, I still just wanted something good to come out of him and um, something to happen there. Um, and I and I don't necessarily know why that is. I think if I had to pinpoint it, it would probably be because it's the title of the book. <laughs> um and having an expectation uh, for something <laughs> to happen. I think in our first episode, Jordan, you mentioned how, like, how are we going to land in this? Is it going to be like just a frustrating book or maybe it just should be a different title? Um, and ultimately, I, mm-hmm. I do think I'm landing on that on that ladder of 
the title brings in a expectation from the reader for Vale, a desire for him to do something, be something, no matter what he does. I, part of part of my attachment to Vale, I think, is is um, and and I, I will agree. By the way, that maybe this needs a different title. Or um, I mean, Vale's not even in it for like He's half not. the book. But um, and he, and even then, like once we do meet Vale, it's, you don't spend a ton of time with Vale. No, but I, you know, I I kind of and I think I talked about this last time I was I was on the podcast. It's like uh, p- part of my vermin defense, <laughs> right? Is the abbey beasts don't really treat vermin very well mm-hmm. like according to their like mm-hmm. you know they they talk about like being welcoming to everyone but it's always like sort of out the side of their mouth they're always like well <laughs> you know he's actually a piece of shit because he's a ferret mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. like i i kind of get a little bit of of attachment to him that way where it's like just just be nicer like just actually like yeah. sincerely try to like this dude and obviously like he's a he is an evil character I don't think that would actually change the story, but the constant like doubt about him, even when he was a baby, like, no, actually he's just going to grow up to, to be garbage. Like that (laughs) Mm -hmm. makes me feel like I want to be like, this is like a baby that you're just Mm -hmm. dunking on right now. Like why, you know? So part of that too, is just like, I, I, I want everyone to be nicer to him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's maybe some of like, when I say, I don't, I don't really know what Brian thinks that he's doing yeah. with this like he never addresses <laughs> i think the meanness of the red wallers no well, and just like I, there's just like an incoherence mm-hmm. I, I feel like Vale's whole entire sort of moral journey if we can call it that or just even like moral situation um is very confusing to me <laughs> like I, I i agree yeah um, and, and not in a way that I feel like challenged or compelled. <laughs> like it's just it's just confusing. It, it's it's funny. Like if you read, uh, not to to get too far into like a, a different Redwall book, but if you read the the like what I consider the sister book of this one, which is Tagaram, mm. you know the sort mm, of opposite oh, sure. of this one, yeah. where a, a, a otter is raised by vermin. Like there's no moral journey in that because again, I, I think it, it is a problem where Brian Jake's like the the sort of like complexity of his moral universe is just not there to make a character <laughs> like Vale really work like you know yeah. they're very black and white characters usually so when we have mm. someone where like we expect some grayness and that just doesn't happen it's like well why why do this you know and Tagarong is the same way where it's like he just is good the whole time it's like well I don't care then like it's fine whatever there is almost like a part of me that's like well at least he's sticking to his guns <laughs> that's for sure <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> consistency you can't you can't fault him for lack of that yeah um, but yeah I I why introduce the concept of a gray character if you're gonna throw that out the window yeah I I huh. do so Julia. This is something that I bring up often uh, uh-huh. on the podcast. Uh, I am always fascinated by because many of these are framed stories where people are telling it to somebody else, um, mm-hmm. and so it's always I, I like to receive the invitation to consider who is telling the story and what that says about the story. It's not actually a hare telling the story. It is an otter, but it is at Salamandastron two hares. So. Most of these stories are through the lens of Redwall Abbey. This one is kind of through the lens of Salamandistron. And in that, I do, I don't think this is purposeful at all, but it is interesting to me that like 
some of the moral confusion, uh, the brushing over of certain things, the like, just, I feel like lack of understanding of like what empathy is or how it works. Like, I feel like Bryony's character is not like really explored to like actually understand why she feels the way she does is kind of like Salamandistron wouldn't be that interested in understanding that. Like they would kind of be like, ah, uh, yeah. And then the parts of this story over here, they were nice to a ferret. So we don't know why he was a piece <laughs> of shit the whole time. And like this one mouse was just like so stubbornly. And you know, she, yeah, the ferret saved her in the end, but did the ferret really save her? Like, was he meaning to do that? And then, you know, she just became Abbott. Like, so, like, some of that just, like, yada, yada, yada-ing uh, is, like, that's the kind of thing that uh, a hair audience would just be like, yeah, I don't, I don't give a shit. I don't care about this. I don't understand this. So, like, again, no way was Brian, like, actually sort of dialed in on that. But I do think... It is interesting that this story is told from Salamandistron's perspective and not Redwall's. Um, that's a, yeah. that's an excellent point. Yeah, it also probably explains why this book, uh, which is titled "The Outcast of Redwall," is um, a book about Sunflash the Maze Truly. and not about the yeah, Outcast yeah, of yeah, Redwall. Exactly. Exactly. Because <laughs> like... at at the end, I think uh, was I forget if the hare or the otter said this. And he's like, "Hey, yeah." So the the moral of this story is Sunflash is a cool dude. <laughs> Hope you see someone like him at the time you die. By the time you die, goodbye. Sunflash the Mace is a cool dude, though. Okay, one hundred percent. I have a lot of excitement for Sunflash. I, I just don't know if this is going to be the time to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we can, can save... do plot summary. Uh, yeah, let, let's do let's do plot summary, and then and then we'll we'll start with Sunflash. How's that? Sound? Start with Sunflash. All righty. So. In book three of Podcast of Redwall, Bryony vows to find Vale and return him to Redwall as a changed ferret, and she's joined on her adventure to find him by her faithful mole friend, Taggart, because of course you need a faithful mole friend when you're on an adventure. But Vale has no plan on being good and decides to seek out his father. Along the way, he creates havoc in Mossflower Wood, betraying kind travelers and getting in quarrels with foxes leaving Bryony and Taggart to clean up all his mess. The two run into Vale a couple times, but he tells him to leave them alone. Shrews, a slipstream, and a large waterfall bring the three to a large cave area known as Bat Mount Pit. Meanwhile, Swart arrives at Salamandastron ready for battle. He tricks a Corsair, Zigu, into a battlefield death, leaving Swart's horde even larger than ever. The first attack on the mountain's defenders leaves them reeling, and they even briefly capture Sunflash. But with the assistance from Woodlanders, the Long Patrol and Sunflash send the Horde in retreat. During the retreat, Nightshade shoots down Scarlath from the sky with a poison-tipped arrow, but she quickly meets her end at the hands of a vengeful Sunflash. On the run, Swart finds himself in Bat Mount Pit as well, where he runs into his son. The two don't care for each other, though Vale nonetheless agrees to help his father. Sunflash and Long Patrol arrive at the cave where they assist the resident bats, and in a resulting battle, Sunflash is stunned and captured once again. Bryony attempts to free the Badger Lord, but is caught by a swart who throws a javelin at her. The projectile, however, misses its mark as Vale jumps in front of her to defend Bryony. Swart is promptly tossed off a cliff, and Bryony and Taggart set off back to Redwall with Sunflash joining them. Back at the Abbey, the Bachelor is able to meet his mother, where he spends out the rest of his 
the time at the Abbey until his mother passes. Taggett gets to be formal. And Bryony gets to be Abbess, though she never believes that Vale could ever be good. And that's how Castle Redwall Book 3. Wow. Indeed. Yes, Sunflash, cool guy. Cool dude. I yeah. got so, so like throughout this book, he's been great. I love how uh, in the first two books, he is like known to be friendly with kids um, and how he aggressively turns Salamandastron into an agrarian community as, as opposed to a war profiteering palace. <laughs> um, and uh, I think my absolute favorite part of his character development is when he is headed off back to Redwall with Bryony and Taggett and he's just like gathering as many plants as he can and he's just like taking cuttings from everything and I got really excited and happy about that part what a great guy love this guy I, I believe he introduced tea time to Salamandastron I think that's yeah. a detail we get this is one of his uh patented inventions is tea time so amazing and then at one Which point the hairs two, love like so. yeah yeah exactly and so the hairs get like super excited about it because who wouldn't? Do you think that uh, was was uh, was Basil Staghair part of the Long Patrol? Because I remember in Redwall he got super excited about tea time and like straight up left a battle. Wasn't Basil just tea. like just some dude in a field? I <laughs> was, was he actually I, like part of the? I think it's probably something that did he know what the Long Patrol was when he wrote Redwall? No, but Basil would talk about his like service oh yeah and uh, so i think it's sort of like you can retcon that into being like well that was probably the long patrol um but i don't know nonetheless the tea time echoes all the way to the uh to that story yeah i i really like this like uh siege at salamandastron it's really Mm -hmm. exciting i tend to really like salamandastron stories in general Mm -hmm. they're some of my favorite but um they're so like dire and brutal and just like such a hard turn from anything that's ever happening at Redwall Abbey. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder. So in the book Redwall and in Matameo, the focus is at Redwall where they're under siege uh, versus when Salamandastron is under siege. Like what, 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 uh, yeah, what is it about Salamandastron that makes it so much better? I think it might be that Salamandastron makes sense that they have a way to fight back. Uh, potentially. Yeah, the Abbey Beasts are just like, for some reason, very good at uh, like, yeah. the warfare all the time. They just, <laughs> it never makes, and like Dibbons are always like killing guys. Like it just never <laughs> quite Truly. makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and also um, hares are like, really fatalistic and, and oh, yeah. uh like yes. they're always like delivering these like incredible like heavy lines about how it's like your duty to die in battle or whatever like no no red waller is ever gonna do that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah you're gonna have and... the formal talking about dying on the <laughs> um i like here bradbury's kind of a cool character where like he seems softer than the rest of the hairs, at least in terms of like, he's not quite like when I can't remember what her name is, who dies. Um, mm-hmm. But like that hits him pretty hard. And like, it's seemingly the kind of like grander of duty uh, is not like enough for him to 
yeah. be able to like deal, uh, which is which is nice. And Sunflash like kind of gives a pretty succinct like summary of basically the Redwall moral position or the Redwall universe's moral <laughs> position yeah. when like. Bradbury is like, why did this have to happen? Like, war is bad. And Sunflash is like, yes, war is bad. You hope to not do war, but evil exists and it is our duty to wipe it out. And it's, it's sort of like, yep, that's that. Like, that's the, yeah. you, you said the thing. Like, <laughs> uh, That being said, I think that moment also allows for a great moment of uh, the hair gets to cry uh, mm-hmm. to Sunflash's mm-hmm. For sure. uh, bosom and uh, Sunflash cries too. And I think that A, that's like so new just in the story for a Badger Lord to do that. But I'm also so glad that Brian decided to put that in there as well. Mm-hmm. Just, um, you know, we talked about the uh, the cage of masculinity and not being able to cry on the bus. And, you know, Sunflash <laughs> would cry on the bus. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and Brian wants you to know that crying on the bus is cool. I, am I mistaken that that the Long Patrol is the book that immediately follows this one? I think we got uh, maybe chronologically, not in order. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say because I bought the wrong book then. If <laughs> well, I'm just I'm wondering up. because I I feel like that's a theme that he gets kind of interested in, where there's like hairs who are. It's kind of like a war critique where it's like they realize how awful this situation is. They're not all about the Ooh. like glory of it, and they. Because uh, that's a really heavy thing in, in Long Patrol, but you kind of mm-hmm. see it starting here. Interesting. I am so glad that that ends up happening. I didn't read Long Patrol growing up, uh, but that like war obsession is something that has always been like the one thing making keeping me back from loving hairs. And if that starts to be like critiqued and explored, I'm looking forward to that. I, I, I mean, I always have the sense that hairs like... I don't know. There's something about them that's really unnerving to me. They just are like born to die. And that and that's like literally mm-hmm. how all of them just view themselves is like I'm just gonna mm-hmm. like keep fighting on the shores of Salamandastron until I fucking die on the field of battle. And that's the best thing I could ever hope for. And like every single one of them is like that. It's just so and but then they're also like weird clowns. Like uh, it's just such a yeah. strange character archetype, but he uses it over and over. Mm-hmm. I, I would argue they live for two things, to die in the battlefield and to scoff. <laughs> well, yeah, you got to have a good scoff now and then. Got to have a good That's scoff. That's true. It looks like Long Patrol, the only one in between this one and Long Patrol is the Pearls of Lutra. So okay. roughly, this, roughly the same era. Sure. His golden era, we might say. His, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Anything else with the Salamandastron? See how do how do we think how do we feel about our villains' performance here? Um, we've kind of been tracking our villains so far. Uh, Swart has been a very satisfying villain. Um, I think books one and two. Uh, do we think that continues in book three? Do we like Siege Swart? Can we can we talk about Wraith? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, my favorite. <laughs> He gets he gets pied in the face to death. <laughs> <He gets> p- <laughs> <laughs> I made notes of like this character introduction where he's like kind of invisible in the firelight and all this stuff and disappearing and being so cool and he dies like an absolute punk. 
<laughs> like a chapter later, he does yeah. nothing. He kills one vermin, and that's it. Like I, <laughs> it's, it's so rough. funny. To it's me. rough to be an assassin in one of these books. No oh, assassin, truly, yeah. Like Shadow, uh, whatever the poisoner was in uh, Salamander's run. It's it's no good. Don't don't be an assassin. Did Unless you're Brian... a wild fox, maybe. Ooh! Oh yeah, I, I don't remember Marl Fox, so we'll we'll see. Assassin Watch. Uh, Assassin Watch. <laughs> Assassin Watch. Uh, I, yeah, it's it's a. Uh, I don't. Uh, yeah, I guess Brian. Sorry, I think you were maybe about to say the same. Brian like doesn't seem to like this type of like underhanded tactic. I guess. Yeah. Or he very much just sees it as like comedic purposes because he makes this whole like. Brief B plot of rock pies and rock cream, yeah. just to find this very specific mechanism to kill a character he introduced one chapter prior. Like it's almost this like two chapter interlude of what bullshit is this assassin want to be up to? It's like it's like the the Redwall equivalent of uh, Indiana Jones just like offhandedly shooting that guy. In oh Rangers my god! Lost Ark. Yeah. It totally is. Like yeah, uh, he, he is like, just twirling his swords, <laughs> being all fancy. And... There's yeah, there's the stupid rock cream, which doesn't mm-hmm. even make sense. It's like a prank that they're pulling. Yeah, and then they just throw it like they f- happen to throw it out the window where Wraith just pops up at the same time. <laughs> it's just so stupid. And not only not only does he fall out the window, but first he <laughs> instinctively reaches for his face <laughs> and stabs himself in the jaw. <laughs> Yeah. And then falls out the window to his death. And literally, none of the hairs even noticed that he was there. Like, did you see something? Yeah. I thought I saw something. <laughs> oh, my so God. So it goes. Poor Wraith. Poor Wraith. His, his, his I got to call out his uh, illustration, too. The illustration for that chapter. Wait, that was Wraith in that illustration? That was Wraith. That, oh, ch- no, that illustration that I sent you is Here, so yeah. funny. I'm going to I'm gonna see if I can pull it up. I'll, oh, is, uh, it, is it this this real mob-looking boy? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah, so... I'm a I'm a big fan. The the illustrate the cover illustrations and the in book illustrations are two different artists, and I am mm. always a big fan of these in book ones. And mm-hmm. <laughs> they're mm-hmm. they're so um, silly. <laughs> this yeah. one does not disappoint. Yeah. No, uh, he looks like a little squirmy dude. I didn't know that that was Wraith when you sent that to me, Jordan. And I thought that was like maybe Veil in the rain. Nope, but... that's Wraith. <laughs> Holy cow! Yeah, like it's crazy how. His dis- Brian's descriptive, like he's pulling out all the stops on like setting a mood and like being descriptive with things. Something he's so good at, and just killing him like a punk. <laughs> it's wild. Maybe like ten out of ten on this book for that moment alone. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's a really solid comedic moment in a yeah. in a you know a plot line that does not often get comedic moments. So I, I'm a fan. But our villain Swart, we've liked him because. I think the amount of time we get to spend with him, both like in the book, but also just the time that the book spends on him in terms of the amount of seasons we get with him uh, is something that I think we really liked. And is like conniving. He's facing his own challenges throughout it all. Yeah, I kind of feel like Swart like failed upwards in a way. Like he, because if I if if I recall, he kind of starts out as like not anyone, and then yeah. like works his yeah, way up he- the ranks and. 
Yep, he slowly kind of accumulates, like he's just like a, a modest slave driver, and then he tricks a warlord to become a warlord, and then kind right. of, yeah, just I, sort of... Usually, I, I feel like our villains are, you know, they just kind of start a warlord, um, mm-hmm, so I, I mm-hmm. like that this guy is maybe like, um, you know, punching a little above his weight class from the get-go, and you can kind of see it, like he is never fully in charge, or things are not really going the way that he thinks they're going to go i just yeah i i do really like him i think he's an interesting character and yet he's he's still pretty scary i think he's a really effective mm-hmm. yep um and yeah i think the time spent with him is like the perfect amount like mm-hmm. we get sort of a idea of like how adept he is at trickery uh, and how sort of dastardly he is um without like ruminating in that and so you know he does feel like a formidable foe when he's on the banks of Salamandistron. yeah though uh he might uh rely a little too much on a certain trick uh that worked for him once at the beginning and then every like foe in the horde that he meets after that he's just like hey nightshade cut the cup and she's like yeah and that happens like two more times Again, play the hits. <laughs> play the. Hits. It's not broke. If it's not broke, don't yeah. fix it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why we needed Zigu in all of this. Uh, if it's again just like another thing for something to happen. Yeah, that was a little weird. It kind of felt like his horde just needed to grow. Um, <laughs> so it did. Yeah. Yeah, but just, on the whole, Swart, thumbs up. Yeah. A plus thumbs film. up. Six yeah. six I, thumbs up. I, six. <laughs> six thumbs up. I believe he okay, he has like one thumb, right? Um <laughs> well, he's I, he has his two. thumbs. Um <laughs> yeah, they're all thumbs. Uh he's all thumbs, that guy. Um I, I also really like Nightshade. Um yeah. I, I'm constantly mm. fascinated by like prophets and seers in these books. Um mostly because I'm always interested in whether they're like a real seer or not because it's always 50 50 whether they they can actually do what they say nightshade is one but uh the the as is typical of of like vermin prophets she never gets the full context of what she's saying right so like she sees swartz literally standing over sun flash victorious which happens uh right before he gets killed right so um i don't know i just i just love that i i love how how brian uses prophecy i think it's such a fun thing he does I think it's interesting too that like those things, those visions she sees are her motivations as well. Like they truly motivate her to stick with Swart this whole time. Yeah, she's a um, believer. Yeah, she's a, she's a believer. She sees these visions versus like all these other kind of less interesting, pitiful motivations of vermin thinking, yeah, I just want to like usurp someone else. I think it's it's cool to have Nightshade be like truly committed to to something, to an idea. Um, yeah in swart she's she's also probably one of the least underhanded foxes we've seen uh just in that i mean she still poisons people but you know she does, <laughs> she's she's not like as you said she's not like looking to pull one over on swart she's yeah mm-hmm. she's r- truly like a believer in him so that's mm-hmm. kind of fun to see too she is however looking to pull one over on scarlath which was, <laughs> which was devastating i think that the friendship uh, if if 
Again, Sunflash is like an embarrassment of riches, I guess, of a character in terms of like he himself is so cool, but also his friendship with Scarlath is just like awesome. It's it's really great. I really like it, and that character death hits pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's an impactful one for sure. I, I feel like it was a little. There, there's a part of me that feels like it was inevitable, unfortunately, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. just because. You can't have someone too cool flying around. Um, <laughs> and you you needed something to motivate maybe Sunflash even more uh, or had to kill Nightshade somehow. So he had Nightshade kill Scarlet. It, it, it seems so like bad. a really abrupt moment for me, which I guess is how mm. death on the battlefield works. But, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm uh, told. I kind of <laughs> I, I think that's like fitting for because like Scarlet we talk it's it's kind of fun to have a bird who's always around who's this like kind of omnipresent uh force uh where normally it's sort of like oh they kind of get us from point a to point b like here's a big gorge how do we get across it oh bird whereas like yeah scarlath is just this like constant and like it's gonna be a constant until suddenly like it's not um so i, I don't know the abruptness almost fit like that like made it more where I'm like, no, like Scarleth can't come out of the sky. Like Scarleth is always in the sky. He's always watching. I think it also uh this is this is gonna be some pretentious literary bullshit. But yes, uh, oh, yeah. that's why you're they, on here. <laughs> that's why I'm on here, yeah. This whole this whole uh the book three of Outcast is really um about uh increasing pressure and like narrowing, right? So mm. early in this book, um Sunflashes, he's like trapped in the net, right? And that's very like suffocating and confining. He feels really confined by his armor. He like tries to tear it off at one point. Like there's this constant mm-hmm. sense of like he's confined and he needs to get out, right? Uh when Scarlath dies, mm. like literally that's like his his eyes, right? Like Scarlath is his constant yeah. scout. So there's a there's a sense of like being confined even further. Like he's sort of blinded in that moment. But also it it switches from the physical confinement over into a sort of emotional pressure where now it's not just like that Sunflash is feeling confined physically, but now he's like being funneled into something emotionally too. Like it's, it's sort of become in that sort of Badger Lord way where they can't let go of a, of a, of a um, feud right now. He can't stop going after Swart because Swart killed his friend. Nightshade killed his friend, but you know, uh, implicitly. So, uh, it's it's just a really nice use of of increasing tension, which this yeah. this whole book does really well, right? Like everything feels so, uh, and and it it all leads us into Bat Mount Pit, which is this very claustrophobic, dark, enclosed environment. Right? So, mm. yeah. yeah, love that. Yeah, that makes read. sense. And I'm glad so, yeah. that Bat Mount King is back. I thought, <laughs> we, yeah. I didn't think we ever saw bats again. We saw them in Mossflower, and yeah, uh, was, do you think I'm glad to see these do weird little guys to... come back? They headed to Bat Mount Pit, Mount Pit to uh, watch Sony Pictures' new movie Morbius about vampires. I I'm think that's sure, what happened. I'm sure, here. that's exactly what they this did. Is called, this is uh, this is uh, some synergy with uh, this amazing new film coming out that I'm so excited for. Is Jared it, oh, Leto, promoted baby. part of the podcast. I wasn't aware. <laughs> no, yeah, we got that. Morbi- we got that no. Morbius money. Morbius. Yeah, we got that more. Yeah, Morbius lock. Uh, <laughs> I can't. That wait movie is just a total joke a to check. me, and I'm very excited. <laughs> about it. 
I don't even know. I mean, I've heard the name Morbius. I have no idea what that is. Though. It's so you got the Sony shit uh, with they had Spider-Man for a long time. They essentially lent Spider-Man to Marvel stuff. And then they're still trying to make their own like Spider-Man universe. And Morbius is a vampire in the Spider-Man universe, kind of like an anti-hero situation. And it's just like they're making shit movie after shit movie, trying to make a thing happen. And it's like, stop trying to make it make stop trying to make Spider-Man happen, Sony. Uh, but so, so that's a long explanation of my Batmount pit joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it landed well. That's, that's, Thank you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I do. Like uh, yeah. That, so. uh, the, the Bat King. I'm a big fan. Um, big fan. Big fan. Yeah. Big fan. I just realized maybe I'm an idiot for admitting this, but so we like, obviously they have the speech pattern and then that's like fun. I just realized that that's supposed to be like echoing. Yes. <laughs> like, an, I, I echo, realized that yeah. too reading. I did not catch that on Moss Flower at all. And then I was like, oh wait. <laughs> it is the silliest is. like regional accent. I guess if you want to call it that, <laughs> that Brian Jinx has ever done. Like it's, yeah, it's very sure. goofy, but it's very funny. What? A, what oh a yeah. Funny yeah, they just repeat <laughs> like key phrases over. It's just mm-hmm. it's so dumb. Uh, but yeah, I guess like how else would a would a bat talk? Also, they're all yeah. like whis- whispery and and mysterious, mm-hmm. wispy boys. <laughs> how was that? Uh, how was that in the audiobook? Was that a good time, Derek? Uh, I mean, it, it, they're, they're nice and they're not. It's not high pitched, but they're whispery and. Uh, repeating uh they do kind of play up the echoingness because they make it mm. like the second thing they say is quieter is quieter and so okay. it is kind of okay. trying to lean into that a little bit more yeah and if i All may right. put a little pause on the bat mount pit to say this audiobook this has some of the best orchestrations we've heard so far they decided to mm. finally put horns into the interlude music and it sounds great there's some stuff that almost sounds like it could be a fleet foxes song good stuff going All on right. there Wow. High praise for the Outcast of Redwall uh, audiobook. We also have that uh, Outcast of Redwall audiobook money. So, (laughs) along with Morbius money. (laughs) That's just another little plug. Um, Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Listeners can't see it, but uh, Derek and Jordan are sitting on piles of gold coins as we see. Uh, allegedly, actually, uh, it's it's stored away in our Badger Mountain at the moment. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the treasure certainly exists. For those keeping track at home, Morbius is currently sitting at an 18% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, and I think for the rest of the podcast, I will be focusing on the movie Morbius. <laughs> I love <laughs> it so much. What do we think of, of Bryony's track? So we, we talked kind of Vale uh, at, at the front, um, but like, Julia, you mentioned like Bryony is a character that you really like. Um, I'm interested to hear you sort of like talk about uh, what what draws you to her. Yeah, I I love that she is um, she's she's this book's Martin, I guess. You know, she hmm. sort of like fills hmm. that role. She's the she's the like young uh, young mouse that that goes off and and whatever whatever has an adventure, but she's explicitly not a warrior at all um like her only her only power uh is love right i was gonna (laughs) just 
yeah, she's, she's a lover, not part. a fighter. Uh, shout out to Captain Planet. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, really, I think that's cool. You know, I, I this book already has so much like military shit in it. Mm-hmm. Um, like it didn't need more. Um, I just love that there, we have a different kind of hero this time, where she's not good at fighting. She's not. She's she's courageous, I guess, but not in any like you know unusual sense. Um, she just she cares really deeply about people and and that's kind of it and that's that's the whole impetus for her journey that's the the thing that that causes Vale to sacrifice himself it, it's the thing that solves all the problems like it's just it's cool that we have a hero who is just nurturing and soft and lovely and mm-hmm. and that's all they ever have to be the whole time I yeah li- yeah um, I, I did like when she leaves the abbey it's sort of like she's kind of like repairing uh, Vale's path of destruction, like mm-hmm. w- like where Vale has been and hurt somebody, she sort of like comforts them, gives them food, and sends them back to the Abbey. And so it's sort of this like kind of like she's like pacifying this path um, behind him. That's like kind of cool. I do think I do find her character's kind of conclusion or her sort of like. Because she comes to the the like realization or um, the the opinion that oh Vale was never good like though he sacrificed himself for me he didn't actually sacrifice himself I can't possibly be sure that that's what he was doing like everybody was right I was wrong uh, and nobody really like challenges that it's just sort of like <laughs> it's a bizarre yep, cool yeah. do you want to be the abbess and it's just like. <laughs> What is going on? And again, like maybe that's just Sal Mandestron being like, I ah, don't the, skip the boring part. This is dumb. Uh, <laughs> but it's just like, what? Like, what is going on with uh, the the like the conclusion of Bryony's story? It it's weird. Yeah, I mean, she explicitly says um, Vale was. You know, I, I don't remember the exact line, but Vale was not a good person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I loved him because that's who I am. Like, she won't even after she's seeing who he really is she won't stop loving him as she says which is that's a very complicated thing to work through again like this is a this is a children's book like that's a that's a pretty heavy idea to work with like Mm -hmm. that you know uh, that you can love someone really deeply who is really just going to hurt you over and over is it's a lot uh yeah yeah, i don't i don't know that it pays off like i want it to uh it it Mm -hmm. really just like no one even comments on that really, <laughs> but yeah. And there's just like I don't know. It's fr- there's no like I I want I would expect I feel like the character that Brian has written would mourn Vale at the very least. Um, yeah, yeah. And there is absolutely zero mourning Vale. Like he's dead, and they're just like, well, time to go <laughs> home. Like it's yeah. so s- strange. <laughs> For like as nurturing and sort of like, oh, yes, like yeah. this unconditional sort of love like turns very conditional in like the character's death in a way After that just left being like, what? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's I weird. Do think- and I kind of feel like they try to connect. There's like this little moment where Bryony's like staring at the waterfall and Sunflash is like, hey, what's going on over here? And she's like, it's just so like beautiful but dangerous and violent and i don't know it's just like i just can't look away kind of thing and so it's like okay are you trying to like connect veil to the waterfall as this like 
dangerous but compelling kind of like force of nature that you can't like control but it's just like are you trying to like what is going on i don't know <laughs> it's all of it is so confusing at the end i do think um even if the end is confusing, I am glad uh, that Brian was kind of judicious with his adventuring here. I think there's another version of this story where Brian and Taggett are following Vale for like two whole books and they run into obstacle after obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, like a lot of things that we've seen before in other books. But I am glad that it is kept to like two things that they encounter. You're able to establish that they are, yeah, like kind of mending veils mishaps through moss flower wood and and correcting those things um so at least like we didn't spend so long with this adventure only for this bizarre ending to happen yeah yeah i agree it 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 didn't overstay its welcome which was definitely the risk here I, i the thing i wanted to see at the end was i guess like an acknowledgement uh that it was the right choice to love Vale and to to nurture yeah. him and to be good. like that's kind of I, that feels like what it what should have been the payoff is like yeah like he he sucked he was bad but uh it was right to be nice to him from the start right but it's, but instead it's just like yeah he was a piece of shit we were right and then <laughs> yeah they just like eat some meadow cream i don't know <laughs> well and like there's like an ounce of that like abbas germain and bella are like wow he sacrificed himself for you i guess we were wrong and Bryony's like no nope you were right and like, <laughs> yeah. cool glad i don't want to man i was i thought i'd have to do some work there i'm glad yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> like, boy this is a complicated moral problem anyway <laughs> <laughs> oh I, for a moment i thought i had to check my internal biases but, <laughs> yeah it's such a i don't know i mean and the the whole like briny just gets like a child she's i don't know like mm-hmm. how old is she you know at the beginning when yeah, they're just like, like here's a baby for you to take care of the whole thing is weird like, right yeah but um yeah i don't i don't know it, it never really quite coheres in a way that's very satisfying mm-hmm. I, I deeply love her character, but something else had to happen at the end, do, really. Do you think, uh, like, Vale's action, uh, and maybe this could segue into v- talking about him, but, like, Vale's action to protect Bryony was Brian's way of saying this is why it's worth loving people regardless, is because, like, it will, like you will reap what you sow in loving people. And so he's like, okay, I did that. I don't have to explicitly say it because I showed that even loving an evil person will make that evil person like reciprocate something to you, whether or not it's part of their character. I, I think that that is what we're meant to take away from this, that, that her love for him had some effect in the end. Uh, but it's also kind of wrapped up in like the idea of again like we we get prophecies about what's going to happen so like Mm -hmm. was this inevitable no matter what like it's not quite clear um but i i I feel like that's what we're supposed to get i do i mean i know um bryony is very she's not sure that Vale actually tried to sacrifice himself but i think we're meant to be pretty sure that yeah Vale definitely jumped in front of the spear I'm like, what else was he doing? <laughs> yeah, he said, yeah. "Briny, get out of here!" And then, yeah, what did he trip? 
<laughs> and just fall in front of a javelin on accident? Yeah. He got, like, he I don't know why she's face not by, he got <laughs> Another face rock, by cream. rock cream. <laughs> yes, rock yeah. cream. Yeah. Um, yeah, the autopsy yeah. revealed there was rock cream. <laughs> there was rock cream in his system. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can never be too careful with fentanyl. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I... I don't. I don't know. It, it does make me wonder. Like the. I don't know. The, this book leaves so many questions at the end, right? Like, how would things have been different? Mm-hmm. Um, I. It almost feels like we're heading towards this moment where everyone realized, or everyone was meant to realize that they should have been nicer to him. Like everyone should have believed in him with the same faith that Bryony had, and maybe mm-hmm. it would have been different. But, but, but that doesn't happen at the end, and so. Yeah, it's a little unclear what we're meant to take away. But but I, I do really feel like Brian thought, like, yeah, here's his, like, there is some goodness. That's because of Bryony. So it was worth it. The Abbey Beast certainly felt like there was something to take away. I did think it was, like, interesting how pointedly, like, the book points out, like, oh, we're, we need to document this tale. Like, they, like, put it mm. in the records. And it is sort of, like, it's always fun to be in the early stages of the Abbey in this case, like the very early stages where it's like, okay, like this is probably the first time they're confronting this moral problem. They're going to record it. You hope that it's a little bit better. We just read the bell maker and it's like, you know, maybe they like read the accounts of uh veil and with Blaggett, they're like, okay, there's something to learn. And that's why like Blaggett's treatment is better, but still imperfect because he's not allowed to actually be at the Abbey. And then they'll mm. record that, and hopefully someday uh, it, it won't suck so much. But <laughs> there are moments, I mean, throughout the series where usually, like the abbess or abbot will be like, "No, this this is what we do. We let people in, even if we mm-hmm. are not sure about mm-hmm. them." Right? Like that that does mm-hmm. happen a few times, and it always goes mm-hmm. badly for them. But yeah. I, probably, yeah, like we could connect that to Vale. Like they they did learn something, and yeah. It's like written in the logs now. Yeah. <laughs> you have to, you got to be nice to people. You, hey, you, <laughs> you got to be, you got to be nice to people, but not too nice. Um, we talked a lot about the stuff surrounding Vale and how people reacted to him. What about the dude himself? Like, do we feel like there's many takeaways there with him or is he just kind of like, yeah, he was evil. He wasn't that's the story there. I, I, I don't know that the story does this but i think what this if i'm being charitable um in this book three in kind of contextualizing Vale's action um i do think there's a little bit of like okay he finds the out or the the his father in the band his horde of vermin mm-hmm. and is like ah yes i've come home and like does not belong um is kind of like just tossed aside the same as he ever was. Um, and it does feel like sort of like, okay, now he has sort of this contrasting kind of like uh, idea of like, okay, I certainly didn't belong here and like that sucks. So I left and like, I really don't belong here. And this is even more like antagonistic. Like I have less, there's no like uh, care for me here whatsoever and like oh i really took for granted the care that i received at Redwall, and sort of like that's his change of heart but like there's there's like nothing <laughs> there. I, um like yeah i mean you got a headcanon that um and like <laughs> it's well yeah i mean i think that's the the problem is he never really 
we never get much internal dialogue from him. Like we we don't really know what he's thinking. Yeah. Um, I always got the impression he always seems really like angry to me. Like he just there's like something inside of him that he can't control, and that's really distressing to him. But again, like we don't. I don't know, maybe just ferrets are pieces of shit. I don't know. Like that that's also kind of what you could read from it, right? As as you say, it's a lot of its headcanon. There I think was one point that I identified where it could be Brian trying to like lay that seed of Vale realizing horde problems are not the type of problems you want to have. Um I want heavy problems, not yeah. horde problems. <laughs> Um, where Vale, uh, is watching his dad, like, uh, harm. I think it's bats. Um, and Vale says like, why waste your arrows on something that can't harm you? Um, and that's like the closest we get, uh, to Vale kind of seeing this as like, not a cool thing of just like hurting people. But at the same time, it's like, or is this just Vale teasing his dad (laughs) and saying you are a foolish leader? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the way I constantly want to read Vale is like he just he has this really simple, selfish notion of like of uh, uh, action and consequence. Like he he, mostly Mm -hmm. the bad things he does is he does them because he needs or wants something, right? Like he Mm -hmm. steals a thing or he steals food or or whatever. So he he doesn't often do things for cruelty's sake like other vermin tend to do, which I feel like is the big difference, but. See, that's where it, like, it still makes me so uncomfortable where it's like this feels like uh, just just not evil, but like some, he's just not well. Uh, and it yeah. makes it just so tragic to me where it's just like all of his motivations are not purely evil. They're just not able to, to think through the consequences. And it, it's rough. And this is where I, you know, and this is just not what what the series does, but I I would have loved some internal sense of like what he's going through. Like, does he feel conflicted or I I can't help but feel he he just something's like fucked up in him and he like can't stop himself from doing this stuff. And like that would have been very interesting. But again, Mm -hmm. not it would have been such a different book, you know? Yep. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. Like, let's let's kind of go towards conclusion i don't know if there's anything to be said that we haven't been but i think it's like worth pausing and just being like okay this is like a pretty monumental title in like just the idea of like what does brian think about uh mm-hmm. vermin versus not vermin and like i don't know it's i i think it's like something that i'm like i don't need him to do this <laughs> yeah like i'm okay with them just being the bad guys like because if this is what kind of subverting that looks like it's like not better <laughs> or meaningful um and so i don't know i guess like based on this book um and a little bit of blaggett's thing although blaggett i think is a lot more successful um in in at least doing something um i'm sort of like no like you know we can go back to uh, just like rats as space space Nazis, um, <laughs> we're, we're not supposed to consider them um, anything more than like the antagonistic force of a story. Yeah, I kind of agree. I think he does uh, drop the ball a little bit 
on what he is trying to do here, which is a shame because I, I think the rest of this book is pretty good. Uh, yes. It's one of the better ones, but just the whatever moral we're supposed to draw out of this part of it, it's not quite landing. Mm-hmm. If if it was ever meant to land again, I, maybe I don't, maybe we're reading too far into it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're here for. You don't make a podcast about children's literature and not read too much into it. It's true. That's what sells, baby. <laughs> that's why you got that uh, Morbius we, money. Yeah. yeah, how do you think we got that Morbius <laughs> money? Yeah, we haven't reached out for a sponsor in a while. We started that in the first season and haven't. Uh, gone back to that but hey sony pictures if you want to sponsor us i'll say good things about morbius no, that, i'll i'll lie through my vampire teeth we sponsored. haven't reached out because they've been coming to us oh yeah. sponsored okay. by rock sure. cream is what you guys should <laughs> cream. hey can we talk about jod jod shows up again. yeah oh yeah <laughs> yeah you brought him up right. uh, yeah you brought him up in our feast episode and i sure did so <laughs> the context for that was uh, we were talking about who Brian Jakes might be today, you know, and yeah, I had sure. mentioned maybe a, a certain other British children's author. And Jod mm-hmm. is the closest I feel like we ever get to like a transphobic joke in Redwall yeah. where it's like he identifies as something else. I don't know mm-hmm, what to do yeah. with that. It's just the first time I read it. I was like, that's weird. This yeah, is a weird yeah. character. Um. Yeah, he's a he's a hare that identifies as a squirrel. But they let yeah. him, so I guess that's yeah. nice. Like and, and so it's like, yeah, yeah. that's that's kind of what I was wondering. It's like like yeah. how much of this is like there, there's almost an aspect of it that's at least in uh, through my lens was like is this an attempt at being like affirming towards that kind of thing? Because <laughs> people are just kind of like ah yeah that's funny you're a, a weird dude but you do you man we're not you're not harming anyone but so go at it. But it is also kind of like this is. Yeah, just a dude kind of making a joke about about those things. I, I gotta. I mean, honestly, though, I I don't actually think Brian like had any. <laughs> like, I don't think it was actually like yeah. connected to any real world thing. It was yeah. just like, wouldn't it be funny if a hare thought it was a squirrel? Like, that's that's the whole joke. And what's he doing? Yeah. He's tying his tail to his ears. That's to try to be some a squirrel. Kinky shit. Like I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his his ears are tied back to his. Tail. I really can't quite imagine this. Like, it doesn't no. make sense to me. But Jod uh, like the squirrel hair. There he is. Yeah. And also, uh, rabbits have longer tails than I think we give them credit for. Have you ever seen that? Like rabbits, ha- they don't I'm have always, just like true. they don't have just like I'm a little bun. Discrediting rabbits' tails. <laughs> they, they, it's not just a little bun. Like it's a whole tail. It's it's. We've like, all been sleeping on rabbit tail. Truly, like okay, here we go. I'm gonna Google rabbit tail. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah. Okay. I guess they're 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 a little longer than I thought of them. But like, here I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna share the screen because this is something that somehow is important to me, even more important than Morbius. <laughs> we gotta figure out Jod the squirrel here. Yeah, like look look at the, look at this tail right there, like that is a full ass <laughs> tail. I I love that this picture has like a red circle around the <laughs> tail, like just to make sure you don't miss it. Like we're like really investigating this. Oh wow! See and the right one there, thing: the people discovering that bunny tails are longer and cuter than we thought. Yeah. Oh wow, that's a that's a big. Oh, that's bunny. a yeah, long. That's <laughs> yeah. That rabbit has an ass. Ooh. That's strange. Hello, um, furry listener. 
That's, that's some content for uh, our furry friends. Uh, regarding Redwall after dark. <laughs> it, the sun is setting here on the East Coast. Yeah. So uh, should we should we close out with some awards then? Is there is there more to be said about this book, or are we to awards time? Oh, I have I have one question. Lack a day. That phrase comes up from Shrews, and then it came up by bad guys in here, and then Miriam said it at one point. Is lack a day a curse word in the Redwall universe? Because it feels like it's being used that way. Lack a day. I mean, it's an exclamation, at least. Like, I wish they were saying Willikers instead. (laughs) (laughs) Jolly gee, Batman. Yeah, I I can't Uh, answer that one. Lack a day is an expression of surprise, regret, or grief. Uh, So, I don't know. Like, I've never been grieving and said lack a day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Next time I have a major loss in my life. A lack of day. Yeah, next time your beloved adopted son jumps in front of you and takes a javelin. <laughs> My boy. <laughs> Actually, I mean, but if you're like Bryony, you're not going to grieve him at all. So maybe you're just like, cool. <laughs> no, I, you know? I mean, I got the emotional payoff I needed from it. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, I did. I, I actually put a text flag uh this this feast they have is a particularly mm. good one. Oh. Some choice dishes in this feast. Uh, wild cherry and metacream pie. I'm a big fan. Mm. Hot rye bread cottage loaf. This is excellent food writing right here. Just needed to point <laughs> that out. Do you mean to say that Brian Jakes is good at writing food? Yeah, it turns out. People Making have been sleeping movies. on his food writing, but yeah. <laughs> Just like people go to tales. these books for for complex moral issues but you should really be paying attention to the food truly <laughs> if there's one takeaway from doing this podcast it's that lesson right there oh yep. and also uh we didn't have a riddle anywhere in the book until we had a riddle at the very end in a song oh my god is that true yeah, it, oh, yeah. there's on the way back home brian's like i forgot my my riddle in this but book. it's like a and light-hearted so, riddle like it doesn't like reveal anything right no it doesn't it's almost like he is fully aware that he needs to put a riddle somewhere in the book and so he needs to put at the very end no consequences a husband comes in and ruins it for his wife by giving the answer (laughs) yeah ruins the punchline (laughs) like a a rock cream ruins a ferret (laughs) that classic phrase yeah we all say that whoo so awards, how about them? Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, award. It's award season. <laughs> Truly, uh, <laughs> let's oh, not have shoot. any so, discourse. Oh my goodness, let's have I'm no like... discourse whatsoever. <laughs> award, oh, I, I don't Please know anything know. about award season. The Flash is about to enter the Space Force or the Speed Force. <laughs> I'm looking at the list of awards that I have, and it it just says all Green Book guys. Like. Oh, uh no so oh, we, we we have good character morbius rewards. wins morbius wins <laughs> I just, I, i'm just gonna play a cha-ching sound effect every time we say the word morbius morbius <laughs> uh let's put my kids through college <laughs> uh yeah, I, I'm gonna. Maybe I should have children just so they'll uh, jump in front of me if a projectile comes my way. Somebody, is, somebody needs to inherit this Morbius money. <laughs> it can't go nowhere. Oh boy! So award season. Um, yeah, at the end of each book that we have, we have just like uh, I think it's six awards that we have, 
it's just a good way to like highlight all the characters that have come up in here. Um, first award is MVP for our favorite character, most improved, the character who had the best character arc through the whole thing. Class clown is who's the funny person in there? Because it's a trope that we see a whole lot. Underutilized character is one that we wanted more from. Um, tragic elder death. Someone always dies and either like motivates the other characters or does something um, along that way in their death. And then the much coveted Jess Squirrel Award. The award goes to the character who's like not playing a big role, but just does a perfect amount uh, and just kind of be like a little spice in the story. Like a little smoked paprika in a chili. Not the main player, but an important one. Just a little Jess Squirrel in a red wall. So we can start out with MVP. Who's the best character and why is it Sunflash? Wow. I, I mean, personally, mine's Bryony. Um, oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, listen, I, I love tenderness and love. and uh... but, but Sunflash has tenderness and love. I'm going to say I'm going to say Scarlath. Just because Scarlath is great. MVP. I'll take it. Three-way tie. Sunflash, such a good dude. Most improved character I had a very difficult time with because the character arcs in this book are either non-existent or disappointing, like what we talked Mm. about. I was thinking that too. There's not not really a lot of development. Yeah. I'm going to say Sunflash for this one. Um, I think Sunflash has a character journey. Like, I mean, he starts good, but I feel like he learns things. And, like, we have that middle passage where, Mm -hmm. you know, he, like, almost gives up being a warrior. Yeah. uh, And then, like, has to, like, find that again. And then, like, that experience kind of, like, that trajectory creates sort of his lasting legacy of he settles into, like, being this sort of softer presence who writes poetry and is really um, contemplative and, and such. So I, I'm, I'm going to go Sunflash. Yeah, first poet, Badger Lord. Yeah, okay. You've, you've sold me on Sunflash. I'll give it to him. I think I'm going to give it to the Wraith. He had, a nice, <laughs> he, had a nice, he had a nice character arc as he fell out the window post-stabbing himself. And he, he learned Rock a lot Cream. in that moment. Yeah. Record scratch. I guess you wonder how I found this. <laughs> <laughs> Julie, you want a most improved or? Well, I'm, I'm giving it to Sunflash as yeah, well. Yeah, I like that idea. I, uh, I really don't feel like there's a lot of improvement in this book. Yeah. Just, yeah. Class Clown. This one has often been uh, also translated as class hair uh, most of the time. Um, and I think it. I think it's going to like stay the same here. For me, it was... Uh, I, I did uh, like, I guess this is more of a what I think Brian wanted to be the class clown and in, in uh, ja- not jab, uh, job, Jod, Jod. Yeah. Um, but I did like whenever he tried to say his whole name. Um, the intentionality yeah. of never letting that happen uh, was a very fun. good bit. Yeah. Very good bit. I'm, uh, I'm giving mine to Wraith. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a good call. For sure, of the book. Or strictly rock cream in general. Rock cream for the win. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm, I had Jod for this as well. I, again, the strength of the name bit alone is just, it's, it's good stuff. Mm-hmm. 
do you have a character you wanted more out of throughout this book? Oh, Vale. Yeah. 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 <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna title the book off of a character, you kinda <laughs> yeah. want something out of him. Yeah. Uh, but also Bryony, a little bit. Which yeah. that's uh streak alert. This is the second book in a row where this uh has been given to the titular character of the yeah. book. Um, the Bellmaker was also underutilized in The Bellmaker. Do you think, though, like, uh, Julie, you were will the pearls? About... Will the pearls of Lutra be <laughs> underutilized in The Pearls of Lutra? <laughs> Julia, uh, you talked about uh, kind of wanting, like, an inner monologue, but, like, have we had an inner monologue in any of these books before? Would it fit? No, it, it's yeah. it's not really a thing. Uh, that's what I, yeah, It's it would be a very different book if that was the happening. The closest... The closest we come, I think, is is Brome and Feldo and characters of that ilk where, like, we actually get in the head of a character because they're talking to a friend who thinks differently than they do. And so yeah. you, like, get understanding that way. You have a little bit of that with Bryony, but, like, yeah, absolutely none of it with Vale because he communicates with no one. Uh, tragic elder death. There is only one person who could get this award. It's my boy. Yep. My flying boy. Wraith. You know, there's... <laughs> <laughs> He's a decidedly not a flyer. Uh, <laughs> he was until he wasn't. <laughs> Brief moment he was flying. You know, there's there's a... Uh, so getting, I, I would give it to Scarlath. There's a classic story of uh, when you're walking on the beach and you see two footsteps. It's you and Scarlath. <laughs> beside you and then when you turned around and you saw there's only one pair of footsteps and you asked why is there only one pair of footsteps and scarlet said to you i'm on your shoulder <laughs> you're, you're carrying me uh i mean yeah okay i i give it to scarlet as well okay am i this probably answers the the reason why it couldn't even qualify for the award did one of the like beasts that uh that um Sunflash and Scarlet lived with in that little den for a bit. One of them die. Elmjack die. I don't think so. Okay, then. <laughs> it <laughs> seems so, like one I'm... of them should have. If so, I missed. I, I was waiting for them to be in like grave danger. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there was the adder, but I guess it didn't yeah. actually kill anyone, huh? Yeah, I don't think so. All right, Scarlet. Scarlet kind of gets it by default, huh? So I'm still bummed. I was Bella, I guess. Bella. Dies, okay. But... Why? Yeah. Why, I think Jordan might be thinking, have thought this too. Why was it in my head that Bella died in this book? Like I. There is, I, I'm sure Julia, you probably know this. Don't spoil it. But there is a, I feel like there's a blind badger who falls down the stairs or something or gets like pushed down the stairs. Something <laughs> like that happens. Uh, and. <laughs> I thought it was this. Is it Craig? Is it Craig of Rose Eyes? Craig of Rose Eyes is the blind badger. Yeah. Is the okay. So, all right. Well, call on that shot when I see Craig. Craig is great. Show up. Uh, Yeah. She's in in a a few stories. She's amazing. I'll just start crying immediately because that's the one that I think (laughs) I was remembering. Craig rules. Yeah. So many good badgers. I mean, Craig is great because you you get her like young Craig as a as a badger lord, and then young Craig. Young Craiga, <laughs> yeah, um, and then you get her as a as a badger mother too. So nice, that's cool. Which you get a little bit with Bella as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about everyone's favorite, J 
Jeskol Award. Mm. Rock for, cream. For, <laughs> <laughs> rock cream Truly. could be the answer to but Just a little bit of rock cream question. goes a long ways. <laughs> I, this book has a lot of good, uh, like, kind of bit characters, I, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I re- Again, mm-hmm. I mean, to like Elm Jack and the, the mm-hmm. folks hanging out in the little den, there's some strong characters there. Uh, the pole spikes are fun. Mm. Uh, yeah i had someone tweet at us uh in our after covering our the first book of this uh they were disappointed that we didn't mention the gay otters excuse uh uh, thinking that um those two who help out uh sun flash i forget their names um we'll give that to them uh i really liked the like band of people who helped protect Redwall um, and kind of like divert the horde. Um, mostly like all those squirrels and otters. I like that little brief moment where they're like planning in the woods about like, how are we going to do this? I like the little par- part of the book Added a little, little bit of spice where Redwallers and moss flower wood people got to do some. Can I some also action. make a plug for Shang Dan- Damson? Tom? If you can remember, re- uh, let me remember who that was. <laughs> She's the the fox that uh, Scarlet runs into the little oh, like fox yeah. band, um, right? Just like a little obstacle. Who she, who she uh, he takes the victory into, lap yeah. with the cup trick. Um, yeah, yeah. I just a Shang yeah. Damson song is a strong, it's very cool, strong name. So yeah, very cool. Um, yeah, I think my Jess Squirrel is gonna be Bradbury. I think I liked. I really liked Bradbury's presence in Salamandistron. It was good. Yeah, Bradders. It's a good pick, I think, Bradbury. Yeah, I liked his science fiction writing. <laughs> nice. Ray Bradbury sponsors podcast, please. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you I think he's credited on Morbius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we already got his money. <laughs> All right. So that's that's book three of Outcasts of Redwall. And the whole a monumental darn thing. title and a monumental series of podcasts. Is, is it, I don't say so. Is myself. it as monument, monumental, Jordan, no. as you keep <laughs> saying that it is? No, but it's the one that people talk about. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's I think it's among the most talked about titles. Fun fact. Online uh, if you go to Goodreads. I was looking at this the uh, when we first started reading it. Um, why can't I go to Goodreads? Anyway, I think this is the lowest rated Goodreads Redwall book out of all of them. Sense. It's still like four no. point something stars. I, because it's, people are mad about Vale. Right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very polarizing. This is not way, the yeah. worst Redwall book by far. I, I think it's the ones. I think it's the one that will get like a one star where somebody's just so mad. Like I think there are people who love it and they'll do the five star kind of thing. But I I can see somebody being like, "It's called Outcast Redwall and the Outcast sucked." One star. Uh, <laughs> so that probably drags it down. Honestly, I think this is a, a, the one of the better ones in the series. Just mm-hmm. plot. What would be? What would do? You have a quick top five off the top of your head? Oh yeah, let's see. Uh, uh, Long Patrol. Uh, right. Outcast is in there somewhere. I really like right. uh, Lord Brock Tree a lot. Okay. Okay. Um, Pearls of Lutro is actually a pretty strong one. This is a strong stretch right here. Okay. Yeah. 
I kind of, I don't know. There's some Madame Mayo so you, is up there. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I was gonna say most of those. You're like a you're a mid period. Oh, uh, absolutely. Brian Jake's. Stand, yeah. This uh, is the Renaissance, uh, right here. Yeah. Yeah. I I also I like all the like early ones, the ones that like Lord Brock Tree is yeah. like very very early. They're yeah. All good. Yeah. 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 This this is the uh, the lowest rated on Goodreads. 3.93 stars. So like not even that bad. <laughs> no, it's it's not. Uh Tagrong and, and Lomhenge are rough. There's no way really? that okay. I would rate those yeah. higher. Well there, it looks like uh Redwall Friend and Foe, the guide to Redwall's heroes and villains, is the only one that's rated lower. 3.83. The classic, classic title. controversial title. It's barely down there. 333 yeah, pre- people rated that on Goodreads. That's crazy. 333 people listen to our podcast instead. Don't rate that book. <laughs> rate our podcast. Yes. Well, thank you, Julia, for coming back. Thank you. Uh, I for, had a lot of fun. for in indulging us in conversation on this text. Uh, it was very fun. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you weren't here that long ago, but anything new to plug or anything you want to plug again? Uh, go, go see Morbius. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't have anything to plug. Amazing. Thank you. That, that, that One more Morbius plug. <laughs> we are rich, rich people. Um, Yes. Uh, so yeah, that's out. Oh shoot, guys! Huge um, news. Uh, oh, I'm just seeing this headline right now. Stuart Little's in the Morbius movie. She's <laughs> 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 OP. This is a late. The in lore the in this podcast is getting hard to keep track of. <laughs> it's indeed all right. <laughs> what if M Night Shyamalan wrote Morbius? <laughs> Who knows? That's the Jonathan- twist at the end. What if Jonathan Lipnicki was in Morbius? What if Jonathan Lipnicki was Morbius? Oh, wait, he played the kid vampire. He was in a kid vampire movie. What? Oh, yeah. 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 You're what, right. Is, is it called Kid Vampire? What's that movie called? I, Let's find oh, out. Oh, yeah. The, the Little Vampire, maybe? Kid Vampire. Yeah, The uh, Little Vampire. Kid Vampire. Wait. Yeah, The Little Vampire. I just searched. He's, he was a, he was once a little vampire. Now he's a big vampire, Mister uh, Doctor Morbius. Mister Morbius himself. Yeah, Mister. Sorry, Doctor Morbius. I... Thanks for having me be on the podcast. That's really <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not at yeah, all gone uh, off the rails. It's all off the rails, but yeah, that was our coverage of Outcast of Redwall. Thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be doing a feast episode with Abbott Pete from Recorder on on the Wall next uh, episode, which is very exciting. Some cross podcast synergy, um, and then we will be doing Pearls of Lutra to round out this season of Re Redwall. Um, so. Yeah, get reading. In the meantime, if you want to connect with us, you can do so on Instagram and Twitter at RewredWallPod. You can email us, RewredWallPod at gmail.com or connect through our website, RewredWallPod.com. There's also a calendar there with release dates and a web player as well as RSS feed and other helpful things. Also, Tapestry Zine is still out there. We haven't talked about that in a while. That was a fanzine we did. Yeah. Um, so if if you're new here, uh, check that out. That was... Uh, very cool thing that many people uh helped us make um so yeah do those things and thank you for listening and until then 
Stay Morbius. <laughs> Stay Redwall. Stay... Stort Little. Stay Rock Cream. <laughs> Stay... <laughs>